0: Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is the only training application with well over 5,000 training videos to cover all the major skill areas. Kids love it because every video is 100% follow along and the average video is less than five minutes. And that includes rest breaks, slow motion demonstration, and a timer. Coaches love the fact that they can create teams and see that the kids are doing it, and parents just have to hit play. So check out anytime. Dash soccer.com to learn more about what we do. Subscriptions are less than a dinner for two. You can join for free and get a lot of great free content forever. And signing your club up or your team up is less than $5 per player per year. It's a complete no-brainer. So now let's get on to the show. I'm going to start dropping shows where I speak directly to members in the Facebook group and try to give my perspective on questions they ask. So I'm hesitant to say answer questions they ask because this is all subjective, but it's just my opinion from doing this stuff for a while, trying to help people the best I can, give them some food for thought as they consider all the other responses. But as you guys know, some of these, um, um, answers or nuance so i thought you know what let me just jump on the podcast and try to answer some of these questions for the benefit of everyone and i'll do this over the next few weeks so here's one that we're going to talk about today here's the question i was picking my son's coach's brain the other day i was trying to get feedback on what he feels my son needs to work on he said he needs to get better at anticipating where he wants uh, to head where he wants to head to once he gets the ball. And then the question is, what particular drills would would help him get better with this problem? So again, let me just repeat it for clarity. So dad or mom asks coach what the child needs to work on. The coach says, hey, once your child receives the ball, they need to have a better idea of what they plan to do. Presumably they need to have Looked or scanned or taken in information before uh, before they receive the ball so they know what to do. And the parent is asking the community what drills, what specific drills should they work on to improve this? Okay. So, what I'm going to do is let me just offer some unsolicited advice, on a couple of quick frameworks, some qualifi- qualifications, and you guys take it for what it's worth. The first thing is when uh, a coach, I, the first thing is I love it when our coaches give us parents and especially our children uh, positive and the uh, critical feedback. I think one of the best ways to grow is to get fit of critical feedback and work on that area. I said, I did a podcast uh, probably a couple of years ago where I said, Hey, there's only four ways to get better practice. What you're good at practice. What you're not good at. Um, Be willing to try new things and accept feedback or something like that and be with accept critical feedback and then be willing to change. So practice what you're good at, practice what you're not so good at, be willing to make, um, be willing to try new things and be willing to correct areas that you need to improve. I mean, really, when you get critical feedback, that really, that's the only ways you can, those are the four actions required to improve consistently. And in this particular case, uh, players receive feedback. So now, what actions are you going to take to correct this f- feedback? So I, I love when we get this feedback, but it's important as a parent trainer, especially to understand that what it, what is often said is different than how I recommend you interpret it. Okay, so what is said is. Um, so I'm going to say what is said, then we're going to say, okay, what's implied by what is said, we're going to go over what's implied by what's this, what's said, and then we're going to go over how I tend to interpret it. So what is said is you, your child needs to work on X, Y, and Z. Okay. What is implied by what is said is typically we're doing everything that we can, what we're doing. You, based on what we're doing in the training environment, your child should be able to do X, Y, and Z, but they're falling behind. That's what uh, that's what impl- is implied. What I am saying as a parent trainer, I recommend uh, how you interpret this, not based on what is said. What I recommend or how I recommend you interpret this is they've identified a weakness, irrespective of whether or not they're working on this or not, in order for that, weakness to become, um, a positive or for you to reverse reverse course an intervention has to be organized. And that inf- intervention can be you DIYing it. In this case, it sounds like the parent is going to DIY it, or you pay someone to, to organize it, or you do some combination of both. So if you don't do anything, in my opinion, if you don't do anything, you're going to be right back where you were. Uh, where you are now, you're going to be right there a year from now. Occasionally, um, a coach will say, this is your weakness, and we don't have time to, uh, we can't dedicate enough time to specifically correct this weakness. These are some of the things we recommend you do on your own to fix this weakness. So they'll, they'll say that as well. But in general, when they give you this general feedback, what they're basically saying is, we've done what we need to do in order for you to uh, for this not to be a weakness for you, but you're behind, and again, you need to interpret that as okay. Now it's time for me to organize an intervention. As the player gets older, they need to interpret it as okay. Now it's time for me to organize my own intervention. But when they're really young, they they're not going to do that. So you can help you can help them do that. All right. So so let me give you a specific example. One of the things that my younger son is working on. One of his quote unquote weaknesses is over relying on his dominant foot. He's left footed, left footed players tend to do that. That was some feedback that his coach gave him during our little quarterly meeting or whatever. Now, I know not being critical on these guys, but it is what it is. I know that they're not doing anything in training that really, for the most part, I mean, unless I'm just not noticing it but they don't appear to be doing anything in training that is going to correct his weakness. So now I have to organize an intervention on behalf of my son, and I am doing it 100% DIY, as you can imagine. And by doing this DIY training with his non-dominant foot, uh, over time, I think this uh, current weakness will be one of his strengths, okay? When my older son was uh, the same age as my younger son, about 10, I noticed that one of his weaknesses was his "quote-unquote" work rate—the amount of energy he produced, he, the amount of effort he gave in the game when he was not in possession of the ball. Well, you know, I did not organize an intervention because I think this is something that is very difficult for a parent to do because it's very situational, right? It's very—it can be somewhat subjective unless you get some kind of data, data tracking thing, and that. To me, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. I'd probably stress him out more than anything else. And you'd be asking him, in in the case of his older club, to work at a rate this this higher than what uh, the club seemed to expect. So that was a weakness that I noticed, but they didn't point out. Well, by him changing clubs, that was a de facto intervention because the particular club that he's a member of now, because of the style of play that they... um, because of their style of play, they really emphasize uh, winning the ball quickly. So in retrospect, I saw that that was sort of like an intervention because I changed his environment, but I didn't do that specifically for that. But in retrospect, that's something that happened. And that's also something that you should um, consider as time goes, goes, goes on in terms of you receive this feedback, is the club addressing this feedback? If not, can I address this feedback? But if it's something that I'm not in a position to really address, I might need to find an environment that does uh, address this. All right, now moving along. This uh, weakness that we're talking about is clearly in the area of what we would call decision-making and then also um, vision, right? And I've gone at length in previous podcasts, which I encourage you to listen to. I have gone at length in previous podcasts offering my harebrained opinion that vision and the habits that we associate with good and bad habits in game situations are best forged in the in the environment or within the environment that that habit and that behavior is going to be expected to be utilized. So I said that I said a lot there. But in order to really, because the question was what which drills, and I'm saying in order to really improve the behavior of anticipating what to do when you receive the ball, that habit of of doing that is best forged in the environment where that behavior and those decisions are needed. That's a fancy way of saying, and we'll talk about this again, I think at the end of the show, that uh, it's very difficult to improve this type of uh, of of anticipation in the backyard uh, in an environment that is not similar to the game, right? And that also goes towards our private trainers. And I'm going to be harsh on a little harsh on them to say I think many of them will promote that they can they have drills to improve decision making. And if I'm being honest, and I'm sharing my own opinion they have not given this very serious thought in the sense that you looking around at, at, at stuff, cones or numbers or colors, that doesn't translate into the the, the information you're gonna need in a game to make that decision quickly. There is a technical element to, uh, to vision and decision-making, right? How do you position your body, sort of positional play or you know how you're receiving the body ball while you previously were looking away there's technical elements to it that you should practice and then there are technical elements that don't necessarily appear to have anything to do with that but if you become more technical it just magically helps with this area so i'm big on saying if your first touch is immaculate that you're just so much calmer that it gives you more time at least perceives to have more time on the ball that kind of stuff so So I say all that to say there's a technical element to it. So if you go out and do a passing drill where you're looking at the red cone or you're looking at the red light or you're looking at a light and it's red and you yell red and you look again, it's yellow, you yell yellow, this kind of thing that has some marginal benefit because it works on the technical aspect of receiving the ball while looking away. But that because there's no red and yellow light or no cognitive reason to do that in a game, it doesn't translate in that way. So I've done a lot of podcasts on that. And I encourage you to listen to it. And that gets all that gets into that subject of ecological design when you are, are trying to uh, improve on-field performance. Okay. So so that's not the whole habit thing, and that's that scanning. And so a couple of members said, hey, these are passing scanning drills that will improve your that can be used to improve your decision making. And I'm I'm a little wary of that. And then on the flip side, if you're doing a passing drill and you're not doing all this uh, over exaggerated looking around, I don't think that forms a bad habit of you not scanning in the game either. I don't, I don't, I don't think the either or translates to the game environment because the environment you're doing this is is not game realistic. So then we go to the next point. Well, all right, we've established the fact that it's not having enough in tra- training or something's something's going awry in training, right? Maybe because the person is not this it's not it's not happening for them. Can be the training environment, can be the individual. There's so many reasons why. So not playing not ascribing any blame, it's just saying, hey, something's not happening. And one thing also I forgot to mention is not only do does the environment need to be game like in order to produce the habits that you want to see in the game, but and that game like has has um criteria or conditions that I think are that are that you need in order to really be game-like, but especially in the training environment, it has the need to, needs to have a similar level of intensity and all this other stuff, and um, the player needs to receive instruction at those moments that is most relevant, right? And all of that stuff is needed to change habits, right? For the long term, especially. So I've said all that to say, okay. But if someone were to come to me and say, what kind of drills, I would say, well, I think you should just do uh, a course of all types of drills in order to become technical. That's going to be my standard answer. And I'm going to do a separate podcast on <laughs> when I say really the only thing you need to work on, if if I had to guess. So, you, you know, whatever drills you do, um, they're going to help you with your decision making because you're just going to be more technical. But in this particular case, if, if you are trying to improve decision-making, I'm going to share with you what I did with my sons. I didn't read this in any coaching books. Um, it's solely trial and error. As a matter of fact, when I share with coaches, they don't agree and they think I'm backwards. So I don't even really share too much, but it worked for my sons and I saw drastic improvement and parents and coaches who see saw them before and after came up to me and saw improvement. So take what I'm about to say as one um, opinion in the millions of other opinions out there. So what did I do? I um, gave my son a simple algorithm to work from. It's it's an algorithm decision tree, call it what you want. I called it almost like decision-making training wheels. Like the, these are the parameters of your decision-making as you begin to um, internalize how to play this game. And this decision-making training wheel uh, concept was based on a couple of things. Number one, I recognized that the ball and the mind move faster than the body. And number two, I felt at those younger ages, uh, soccer really and strategy just wasn't that complicated again you know my coaches give me a hard time I just felt like oh these nine-year-olds out here playing I can see some a few things here and there I didn't feel like it was particularly complicated so it was it was the ball in the mind moved faster than the body and I didn't think this was com- particularly complicated or overwhelming and once I once my sons I felt like once they understood a few concepts then uh, their decision making would increase dramatically so So what is that? Well, the concept is under an overarching thing that I taught him, which was pass first mentality, right? So I saw early on that most of the kids had a dribble first mentality, right? And this led to them getting into awful situations, making life harder than it needed to be or losing the ball. They had a dribble first mentality. Let me try to dribble first And then if that didn't work, let me then look for a pass. And I, not having played soccer, I did play basketball, understood that the intelligent players, even the most skilled players, understood that in a team environment, number number one thing you're trying to do is facilitate others. And by facilitating others, you're going to create space for yourself. I just understood that. That was just my opinion. So my sons were pretty young, and so I thought to myself, how can I explain this to them in a way that they could understand, and in a way to make this very simple for them, and something that we could—I don't want to say measure, but something that we could kind of understand and relate to very easily. So I said, okay, well, here's the deal. If you rec- here's the algorithm. If you receive the ball in the middle of the pitch, right? Um. 90% of the time your best option is to pass or dribble the ball wide and if you receive the ball in wide areas 90% of the time the space is going to be in the middle in the middle so let me repeat that if you receive the ball in the middle 90% of the time the space is going to be wide and if you receive the ball wide of the time, the space is going to be in the middle. And there's only two ways to move the ball. You move it um, by dribbling, and you you move it by pass, period. So, you know, I would talk to them. Hey, you receive the ball in the middle, where's the best option? Wide. receive the ball wide, where's the best option? In the middle. And at each area of the pitch, that may look a little different. So, for example, if if you're in your attacking half and you are a – winger then and you're getting into the final i should say you're in the final third getting the ball in the middle may look like a cross if you're in your attacking half half, and you're a winger getting the ball in the middle may look like um a one-two right so how you play and how you execute that and what you decide to do is ultimately up to you but just understand that the space is normally if you're in the wide areas is in the middle If, if you're in the um Middle areas is wide. Okay. Now, if the if the wide area is taken or the middle area, there's no space in the middle, then a hundred, almost a hundred percent of the time, there's going to be an option behind you. Nearly one hundred percent. There's a safety valve behind you, right? So, when in doubt, pass it behind. Period. And finally, the final part of this algorithm is if they don't close the space down in front of you, or if there's someone in the space in front of you, one of your teammates, you can always dribble or play it forward. So again, simple algorithm, get the ball in the middle, the space is wide, get the ball wide, the space is in the middle, there's all 100% chance, 99% chance there's, space, there's uh you can pass the ball back or go away from your goal. And... If they don't close the space down in front of you, you take your chances. You can pass it forward. You can dribble forward. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it's really, really simple for them. Because 90% of the time, they get the ball in the middle and they play it wide or they get in the ball wide, they play it in the middle. So if they're in wide areas, that means they're trying to connect with that midfielder and get the ball uh, and get the ball back into space, or they're trying to play it up the line. Or if they run into problems, they're trying to play it back to their keeper. If they're in the middle of the field, that means they're they they're like a pinball. They receive the ball and they immediately uh, try to get it wide. And before before I go to the bonus algorithm, I want to say the moment that I uh, taught my son that, especially my older one, his soccer his perceived soccer IQ uh, grew dramatically. He also dramatically went from um, went to not losing the ball very often. And he was immediately placed in the middle of the field by his coaches, where then he was given more opportunities uh, for this to happen. And then before I go to the extra bonus, many of the criticisms that people who don't see it in real life say, oh, you you know, that's not really decision making because you're scripting it out. You are telling them what to do. They're not thinking about it. Yeah, but what happens is there's a couple of things. Um, sometimes they have uh, analysis by paralysis. They have paralysis by analysis. So that means if you have to, if you ask a child every time before you pass the ball, you got to really think about it and try to analyze the situation, you slow them up, which is what is happening. And um, they end up losing the ball or they play a a little bit slower. And the second thing is by them actually doing this, it's almost like they're turning on a light So the best analogy I can give is once they turn, once they turn, once they get the ball wide, it's like they turn on a light and they see what is going to happen when they do that. So even if they don't appreciate it completely at the very beginning, they're going to quickly begin to appreciate it because they're getting the ball to their player, to their teammates in space in the field is opening up, right? And then once their players, their teammates begin to understand, oh, this guy is definitely gonna get me the ball in space. You'll see that they will start staying wide on their own because they know they're gonna get the ball in space. And people will applaud that. And again, they're gonna see the impact of that. That's what happened with, that's what happened with my older son and that's what's happening with my younger son now. Just play the ball. Also, when you start, when you get the ball to people in space, um, they end up or your team this ends, ends up keeping the ball longer. And if you're in more frequently, if you're able to do that, that increases the opportunities that your child has of, um, of getting those dribbling opportunities that we often talk about. And if your child is in a position, if your child is able to lose the ball less often, you're going to see good or bad, whatever, They're going to be on that pitch longer. If you can leave, if you can lose, if the player who can take the ball more and lose the ball less will be on that pitch. And in many cases, they're going to be placed in pivotal roles. And that's a self fulfilling prophecy. Now, going back to the algorithm, a bonus once my sons understood that, we added uh, two bonuses. Number one is we talked about if you receive the ball in the middle, the option, the best option, or the space is likely wide. Well, there's the higher, even higher probability that um, if you receive the ball in the middle, the space is um, on the opposite side. So switching the field. And I talked about this in the previous podcast. I would count the number. I would tell my son, the goal is for you to switch the field at least five times this game. Or if he were playing in the middle of the field, I would say, hey, I want you to... The first three times you get the ball, I really want you to try to switch to feel. I mean, I would try to make sure that that was top of his mind. Again, I know all my coaching guys are gonna be like, "Yeah, oh, this is horrible," but it worked for us. He would get the ball, he would switch it. He would get the ball, he would switch it. He would get the ball, he would switch it. Feel would open up, um, and that would get him off to a good start. Or he was very conscious about trying to switch to feel as we worked on it we worked on it in the backyard and we talked about it a lot. And then I would also show him in professional games as we were watching games, like, look, see how he's switching the field, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing is when you play it for a bonus would be trying to play a through ball, trying to break lines. So that was like trying to pass it between defenders uh, to, to break lines, ideally wide. So you're playing the ball for and wide, but you're trying to play it through defenders. And we would, we would count that as well. So how many through balls can you get? And that really, really worked. And so another criticism that you, you'll get if you share this is, yeah, but those younger ages, we really want our players to dribble. We really want the, our players to dribble. Well, it goes back to my habit formation um, um, framework. If I want to work on the art of dribbling, the art of being create, creative for my players, the art of navigating situations on the dribble, then for me, it's best to create the conditions that um, that that promotes that, right? So I would either set up drills where they have, if I'm if I was working in the backyard, where they have to do a lot of dribbling, or in my case, I put them in different uh, environments, some of which I coach with the explicit instructions for them to carry the ball more or try to get by players. So, for example, when my son was younger. Um, I signed them up for a 3v3 and I coached. And one of my rules was, hey, don't release the ball until you pass through two players or don't release the ball until you get past at least one player, right? And you would see that they had to think through, how am I going to beat this guy off the dribble and make a pass? Again, I signed him up for foot, indoor futsal, um, basically indoor futsal, even though I think it's just soccer in the gym. But again, same instructions. Don't release the ball until you get by somebody. I don't care if you lose it. I'm your coach. We're going to win this game anyways. Do not release the ball until you get. So, so when you do that, the defender is playing you as hard as they can because to them. It's the real game. Right. But in your mind, or at least in his mind, he knows I have to get by this guy before I release it. Right. This is what dad, who is the coach is telling me, I have to get by this guy before I release it. Okay. So that was the, uh, that was the next thing we did. And finally, um, I would, uh, put them in spanish leagues and it was the same principle carry the ball carry the ball carry the ball as far as you can or take a lot more risk because you're in an environment where that's promoted basically and um yeah carry the ball as much as you can to try to create off the dribble so i would put them in environments where that's this behavior was encouraged but what i was very hesitant to do. And what I don't recommend doing is putting them in an environment where past first mentality is the right mentality, which is most most team type environment. And then um, asking them to do something that's not conducive with that. I think that's a fool's area. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of saying, I'm going to teach you to, I'm going to allow the wrong things, or I'm going to teach you the wrong things now when you're really young. And we're going to work all this out when you become, um, when you get 13 or 14. And I'm also not a big fan. If I'm teaching a whole team or club for a year, I'm not a big fan of saying we're going to ignore these elements of the game because we'll get to those later, right? I think you can teach all elements of the game—tactical, technical, physical, mental—in a developmentally appropriate way. And the 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 ratio of how much you, where you focus that's going to change. But I'm not a big fan of saying. And I've heard this, basically, we're going to ignore that. We can come to that later. No, I can teach you some basic tactics. I was teaching basic tactics tactics, at six years old um, in a developmentally appropriate way and with a heavy emphasis on technical development, individual um, control of the ball. All right, guys, this is Neil Crawford, founder of Anytime Soccer Training. Let's get better together.